Praise God. Let's, let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in a series called The Gospel of the Kingdom. The Gospel of the Kingdom. Amen. And uh, today's title is The Offense of the Gospel. That sounds offensive. But this is actually hopefully going to be a very encouraging message. Amen. The Offense of the Gospel. So we have uh, Matthew eleven six. We have a slide prepared for that. And uh, I, I want to look at that. I want to read that. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Have you ever been offended by Jesus? Has the word of God ever offended you? If not, maybe you haven't really heard the word. Or you haven't read the word. Because our flesh goes against the things of the Spirit of God. And the Word of God is spirit and truth. Amen? To our carnal fleshly nature, the Word of God is offensive. Okay? Tell you what, grab, grab a Bible, grab it. If maybe you have your iPhone or your iPad or whatever smartphone. Stand up with that in your hand. I want to read a passage. This is not on the overhead. I just want to honor the word of the Lord as we read a passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 11. And we just uh, read Matthew eleven six. This verse, it's our text today, is in the heart of this passage we're about to read. Matthew 11 beginning in verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered, answered and said to them, Go and tell, them, tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is a very interesting verse right here in from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you were willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who hear, has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in marketplaces, and calling to their companions and saying, we have played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came 
neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon? The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Jesus is basically saying, um, God, God sent me, and you missed it. It's basically what Jesus is saying here. So he says, what, what should I like in this generation to? It's like children, right? And there, there's, he said, I, we, we, the, 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 the wedding music's played, nobody dances. The funeral music's played, nobody mourns. They're missing what's going on. It's basically what Jesus is saying here. I sent John to you, you didn't receive him. I, I, I have come unto you, and you didn't receive me either. Right? Friend of sinners, friend of tax collectors, and you've labeled me a drunkard and a wine-bibber. Right? God shows up, and they miss it. The, the, the message of Jesus can be extremely offensive, right? The message of Jesus is not subject to us. And I think when you, when you look at the, 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 the ruling class, the religious ruling class in Israel, they thought they had the corner on the market. They thought they had the, the, the monopoly on spirituality and religion. And yet when God showed up, they missed him. And they were offended at his message. So I think Jesus' words are very poignant in this passage, that verse that we read. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Let's look at the offense of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, uh, for, for since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. I'm just a man standing up here today preaching a foolish message. In the sight of man, that's what this is. Foolishness. Verse 22, for Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. Right? So there, there's an offense. Whether you're Jewish or whether you're Greek, there's an offense to the gospel. But then in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Right? This message to the world is foolishness. But to those of us who are saved, this is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For those of us who were able to get beyond the offense of the gospel and receive this message of the kingdom, repent and turn from our sins, this message is the power of God and the salvation of God, the wisdom of God for our lives. The offense of the gospel. This message is an offensive message. The scriptures contradict our lifestyle. The scriptures go against the grain of our flesh. 
they rub us the wrong way. I like uh, the, old, the old man, John, John Osteen, the old preacher. He used to say, if, if, when he was preaching really good, he would say, if I'm rubbing your cat the wrong way, you need to turn your cat around. He'd be spitting truth, been, be preaching the word of God, convicting people. And he said, hey, if this is rubbing you the wrong way, it's time to get right and get with God. Right? My, my pastor taught me this, this idea that, that the gospel is offensive but it needs not be more offensive because of my delivery, right? He said it this way. He said, if, if the gospel offends you, woe to you. But if I offend you, woe to me, right? We have an offensive message. That doesn't mean that we need to be unnecessarily abrasive as deliverers of this message. We speak the truth in love, amen, because it's a message of hope. The, the offense of the gospel has to do with the wickedness in the heart of men. The, the offense of the gospel has to do with our, our sinful nature. But the, the, the message of the gospel does not come to condemn man because man is already condemned. It comes to bring conviction. Amen? You remember the woman taken in, in, in adultery? We see a great example there, right? They, they, they come, bring her before Jesus, and really they're testing Jesus. That's why they bring this woman, they're, they're testing Jesus. But they bring this woman before Jesus and, and caught in the act of adultery. Where's the man? Let me say that again. Where's the man? Why didn't they bring the man with her? Just a question. But they bring her before Jesus to see what Jesus is going to do. He, he bends down, stoops down, writes the message in the sand. What he writes, theologians have been trying to figure out for hundreds of years. But one by one, all of these accusers walk away. And his words to this woman, woman, lift up your head. Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There is a powerful model right there in those words for us as messengers of the gospel. And listen, I'm not the only messenger in this house today. Pastor Connor or Pastor Bill, we're not the only messengers in this house today. We are all messengers of this message. We've all, if you're, if you're named by the name of Christ, you're called to herald the truth of, herald the, truth of the gospel. You're, you're called to be a preacher. And it may not be in a pulpit, but it's at work. It's in your, uh, in your marketplace. It's in your family. Wherever you're at, you're called to preach this message. And we need to look at this example that Christ gives. As we're delivering this message, we don't come to condemn. He said, I don't come to condemn you. Go and sin no more. But it needs to bring some conviction with it, Right? It doesn't condone sin. It doesn't condemn the sinner. It brings conviction to the sin. There's a, there's a difference. Condemnation makes us feel like we're unworthy and there's nothing that we can do about it. Conviction will make us realize that we are unworthy, but it, by the power of God's spirit, it helps us to grow beyond that and to receive the grace of God into our lives. There's a difference in the way that we deliver the message of the word of God. The, the, the pulpit is never, was never intended to be a bully pulpit. It was never intended to beat people up and make, shame them and make them feel bad for their, 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 their wickedness. Every one of us born sinners, every one of us in need of a Savior, the pulpit is designed to be a place where we declare the good news about Jesus Christ, that we can know God and be free of those sins and have an eternity promise and walk a life with our, our Maker, live a, a life in relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? Nevertheless, the gospel offends us, both sinners and saints. This message is offensive to us. Because even as a saint of God, we still have flesh to deal with, right? 
And the word of God offends our flesh. I, my wife says this often, that we need to offend the flesh so that the spirit can live. In other words, we need to get into the word of God. We need to see the truth of God's word and how our lives are contradicting that so that our flesh can be put in order so that we can humble that, crucify that, put that under, stop living to the flesh and begin to live towards the spirit of God and enjoy the life that God intended for us to live. We need to offend the flesh. Preaching should offend our flesh. When you do a Bible study, it should offend your flesh. It should reveal to you your weaknesses. It should reveal to you your sinfulness. And it should provoke in you a desire to follow Christ, to repent of your sins, to turn from them, to forsake them, and to follow on to live a righteous and a holy lifestyle. Amen? Not a self-righteous, not a holier-than-thou lifestyle, but a life that is in pursuit of Jesus, his kingdom, and his righteousness. Right? That's what good preaching does. That's what a good Bible study will do for you. That's what time in the word of God should do for you. That's what your morning devotion time should do for you. It should provoke you to move towards the things of God day in and day out, forsaking the things of this world, forsaking your old lifestyle, forsaking the old patterns of your life, forsaking those old habits, forsaking your, your, your propensities and your desires to follow on to know Jesus Christ. So Jesus says these words, blessed is he who is not offended in me. I got this idea a long time ago, probably 20 years ago, uh, th this idea, and uh, I'll be honest, I don't always do well with this. But I got this idea when I was looking at this concept from Jesus, blessed is he who is not offended in me, of trying to live a life that was unoffendable. You want to know how possible, impossible that is? I, 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 I entered into my notes and spell tracker, spell Spell checker indicated to me that unoffendable is not a real word. That's how impossible it is. Can you imagine being offense proof? No matter what somebody says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt. That's baloney. We get hurt with words every day. Right? I was with Pastor Howe. And uh, some of y'all know Pastor Howe. Pastor Howe said this phrase. He was talking about somebody who's, who had a, uh, had, a, had a certain way of, of speaking to people and addressing people. And Pastor Howe made a statement to this person, said, you need to learn how to own your tone. Right? Sometimes it's not even just the words we say, it's how we say it. I really like that. Own your tone. In other words, I'm not going to get ugly with you. I'm not going to growl at you. I'm not going to shout at you. I'm not going to snarl at you, right? I'm, I'm going to, I have the spirit of God living in me, and part of that spirit is self-control. So I'm going to own my tone. I'm going to control my temper, right? It's easier said than done, isn't it? Right? Anybody got offended this week? Anybody would be real honest. You got offended this week. You got angry. You got upset. All right. Most of us in the building are honest. Most of us. Offense comes in life. Can we live in a way where we rise above it? Can we get to a place in our lives where we are quick to forgive? Where we live lives of grace? Where we get over ourself? Why, why do we get offended? Offense, disappointment is, is a type of offense, right? All of that really, honestly, it comes from unmet expectation. We expect people to treat us a certain way, to, to perform in a certain way, 
right, to show up on work at a time and they don't, and so we're offended at them or whatever it is, but all, all kinds of reasons. But usually it's, it's dealing around this thing of unmet expectation. We have expectation in relationships, and when those expectations aren't met, then we are offended, right? But the worst thing that happens is uh, we put those into our crawl. Somebody said that there are two animals that have crawls, chickens and humans. Chickens use their crawl to digest. Humans use theirs to hold grudges. So we get that thing down in our spirit, and then it's in our crawl. What happens? It begins to tap down and take root. And then we get the root of bitterness springing up in us, and then we see the bitter fruits. Right? Living with offense. How many of you have lived with offense? How many of you realize that you know what that feeling is, where the, the, the soil of your life is so bitter that the roots are drawing from that and it's affecting every relationship, it's affecting every conversation. People are saying things to you that are not really offensive, but you're getting offended. You're saying things to people that are offending them, that aren't even intending to offend them. And then you become a recluse, you begin to withdraw, you begin to uh, you feel like a, uh, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're a victim and everybody's out to get you and you just get sicker and sicker and sicker the longer you go. And then the funniest thing happens, you find people that are offended at the same thing and you start little churches. <laughs> the first church of she didn't talk to me. The first church that he didn't talk to, write to me. This is funny stuff, but the reality is this happens, and this happens in culture. That's why we have all of these uh, uh, rights groups. We're going to fight for the right for this. We're going to fight for the right of that. It's people who have gotten upset and offended about something, and so they find enough people that are upset and offended about the same thing, and they find they form coalitions and before you know it, we got all kinds of little sects in our culture fighting for rights. Rights for this, rights for that, and all kinds of stuff. It can be political, it can be racial, all kinds of things. We're, we're fighting for rights. In America, we love our rights. I mean, we've got a bill of rights. I'm glad for it. I'm thankful. But in a, in a democracy, a democratic republic, supposedly, that we live in today, we're all about our rights. And everybody's fighting for their rights. Whether they're right or not, they're fighting for their rights. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said. He said, whenever our rights become the guiding factor of our lives, it dulls our spiritual insight. The greatest enemy of life, of the life of faith in God, is not sin, but good choices which are not quite good enough. That's a deep statement. He goes on and he says this. He says, many of us do not continue to grow spiritually because we prefer to choose on the basis of our rights. Instead of relying on God to make the choice for us, we have to learn to walk according to the standard which has its eyes focused on God. That's challenging to every one of us in this room who are used to standing up for ourselves, fighting for our rights, Right? Our culture teaches us, the culture we live in today teaches us to fight for our rights. Go get what is yours. The kingdom of God calls us to yield to the hand of God, to submit to him, submit to his plan, submit to his purpose, submit to his provision, submit to his care. There's a stark, stark difference 
in, in those mindsets, right? See, our rights are about what we deserve. And sometimes you're right about what you deserve. But life's unfair and life is unjust. So how, how do we develop a mindset that says, I'm not going to get offended when I don't feel like I'm being treated right? I'm not, I'm not going to get offended when I've been disappointed. It, it's difficult. I've, I've tried to live this way for 20 years, and I fell at it at least once a year. Don't ask my wife any further than that. I'm trying not to get offended, and I still get offended. We've, we've done a lot of traveling in ministry, and there, there's been occasions where we've, we've driven, I mean, literally driven 20 hours, paid all the gas to get there, get in a hotel. There's been times when we've left a church without an offering. It's hard not to get into your feelings when stuff like that happens. Right? And everybody thinks, oh, the preachers, they just get big offerings in airplanes. I'm st- 95% that doesn't happen. And the other 5% give everybody else a bad name. That's not what it's about, folks. It really isn't. But going back to the, the, the story, the illustration, you put all this effort in, you prepare, you spend an entire week getting somewhere, you serve the church. You leave without an offering. It's hard not to get emotional, upset. How am I going to, you got four kids in the car with you. How are we going to take care of this family? So going through this, we experience this, and that, that doesn't happen often. But a lot of times your expenses don't get paid. It's barely enough to pay for your gas, hotel, whatever you had to do. to put. So in that experience, Rachel and I, came up with a conviction. We came up with a commitment that we made that whenever we go to minister, whether it is preaching in a church, doing a wedding, doing a funeral, whatever, we go without expectation. We, we don't expect to receive anything. And if we get it, it's a blessing. So that, that will diminish your opportunity for offense when you go without expectation. And I I think a lot of times the life of faith is like that. We have to submit ourselves into the care of God. Going risk. How many of you know that the life of faith is a life of risk? If if it were not a life of faith, a life of risk, it would not require faith. If there are no uncertainties, it doesn't require faith. Right? So God, here's the mentality. If we're going to be an unoffendable people, and I'm, again, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do. I'm not, care, I'm not concerned about what I get out of this. I'm not concerned about the result. I'm not concerned about how people treat me. I'm not concerned with the consequences of this decision. This is the purpose of God. This is the will of God. This is the plan of God. This is what the Lord is requiring of me. I'm willing to step into this regardless of any of that. I'm surrendering rights. I'm surrendering my own will. I'm surrendering my ego. I'm surrendering all of it to follow after the purposes of God. This is not easy. But the reality is sometimes it seems like we, we believe ourselves and our rights and what's, what's ours. We believe in that stuff more than we actually believe in Jesus and what he says. 
We believe our, the idioms that we've made up more than we believe the words of truth, the words of life. And, and perhaps this is why we have so many people, even in the Christian church, that are devoted to causes and not devoted to the kingdom. You know, we can devote ourselves to causes, good causes. Like, let's, let's wipe out poverty. Let's do this. Let's end race. We can, we can devote ourselves to causes and miss the kingdom. And that's what happens. When we get in, in, into this thing of offense, we join causes and we miss out on the purpose of God. We're, we're going to see this, hopefully, as we, as we move through this. So we end up, as a society, moving towards tribes. Tribalism. Tribalism rules in America. You know what dominates American politics? Tribalism. Politicians are playing the games of tribalism to control people and gain power. Tribalism. Personal empires. Sex. In the church, we call it denominations. One group got offended at another group, so they started their own group. This is totally opposed to what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. Wholeheartedly opposed to what the kingdom of God has looked like. I want to look at, at, at a story in the scriptures in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 24 through 30. It's a story of what's, what the, a lady, she's called, known as the, the Syrophoenician woman. And I, I think there's a powerful picture that we can see here of, of the power of God's kingdom. It says, from there he, Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, can you imagine going to Jesus, inquiring of Jesus, Lord, would you, would you heal my daughter? And he says, is there, this is his response to you. Is it right for me to take the children's bread and to throw it to little dogs? That's, listen, if ever there was an opportunity for somebody to get offended, this would be it right here. Pastor Chad, would you help me out? Is it, is it right for me to take what belongs to the children and give it to dogs? Can you imagine if I responded that way to somebody? This is Jesus. That's his response. And, and she answers to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's Crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. A tremendous miracle because this woman persevered. This woman persevered. She chose not to get offended. And persevered. I'm gonna, I want to tell you this, that 
There are probably a hundred times, maybe a thousand times when you've messed out, met, missed out on the blessing of God because of offense. It's a reality. I, I watched a lady some 15 years ago get offended by the associate pastor in her church. Her, now, this woman, her and her family had just gotten into church. They had been in church for a year. She gets a, and, and her husband had not been to church for 15 years before that. She had been praying for her husband to come to church, praying, 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 praying for her, her, her husband to come, for the family to get into the church. She got offended by the associate pastor, caused a bunch of drama because of that offense. Guess what happened? That man never went back to church. They ended up in a divorce, all kinds of destruction in their household. That's, just, that's an extreme picture. But the reality is that, that, that scenario plays out in our lives a hundred times over. We miss out on relationships. We miss out on all kinds of opportunity that God's trying to bring. We miss out on opportunities even to extend the kingdom of God, to declare gospel because we're offended about this, that, and the other. And we put walls up and we sect ourselves off. We section ourselves off and we end up in these little cliques and we end up being incapable of being the vessels that God wants us to be because we are full of offense. This woman pushed through an opportunity for offense. I'm going to show you, it was even more offensive than you can imagine. Let's read, so that was, the, the, the account that we read was in Matthew. Let's read the account, the same story of this woman in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus went out, this is in verse 21, Matthew 15, 21. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And he answered not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Send her away! That's what his disciples are saying. Let me just say, we need to be careful about sending people away. We need to be careful about sending people away. Here's a truth that I've learned in 20, I don't know, whatever years of ministry. The people that frustrate me, the people that I want to send away, not only are they the ones that God will use me to work something into their lives, but they're the ones that God uses to work something into my life. Be careful about sending people away. I, I want to say this. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how much money you've got in your bank account. I don't care what your lifestyle is. This church's doors are open to you. That should be the message of the kingdom. I don't care what's coursing through your veins, come to church. I don't care how much you had to drink on a Saturday night, come to church. I've said it before, it doesn't matter who you slept with last night, come to church. You might be struggling with identity, even sexual identity, come to church. We, we will not align as a church with mindsets that are of this world and, and really from the pit of hell. But the reality is all of us have things in our lives that we need to repent from. 
All of us, every one of us in this room have mindsets. You, you look at Romans chapter 1, it talks about the, prav- the, the depravity of man all the way to the utmost of sexual perversion at the end of chapter 1. And then the beginning of chapter 2 speaks to those who are, are religious and it says, you're just as bad. See, we all need church. We all need a refuge. We all need a safe place. We all need a place that when, when, when we are filthy, we can run in and we can find refuge. And you look at one person for their sin, and I'm going to tell you what, your sin is just as bad. We need to stop looking down our noses at people. We need to stop looking down at people that are in lifestyles, that are in this, that, and the other, that are in political groups that we may not agree with. We've got to stop looking down our nose. As long as you're looking down your nose at someone, you will never effectively reach them with the gospel of Jesus. As long as you condescend to people, you will never lift them up. We have to have a heart that goes after the least. Because Jesus had a heart that went after the least. He would not, this is a Syrophoenician, did not meet any of the class standards. She was a woman, which women were despised in the culture. We could go through all of the things, all the reasons that Jesus could have looked down upon her. And the statement that Jesus said was true. The bread was for Israel, not for the Gentiles at that time. Jesus' statement was 100% truth. And nonetheless offensive. What did she do? She persevered. She pushed through the offense. And Jesus received her. And did a notable miracle in this woman's life. By the way, I meant to mention this earlier. We had a friend of ours come through a a couple of weeks ago. It's been about a month ago, I guess now. Dr. Richard Hilton. How many of you remember him preaching here a couple? It it was incredible. He preached a, a message called... Uh, miracle of mercy, miracle of mercy. And when he was done, he prayed with people in this altar. People kept coming for two hours. He stayed here and he prayed. So that's what you saw. Here's what you didn't know. A a few months prior, so we had Dr. Hilton's uh, book to to speak here and at our IMA conference. But a couple couple of months prior to that, he gave me a call and he said, hey, look, I just want to give you a heads up. We went to the doctor. The doctor found an aneurysm the stem of my brain, and uh, there's a possibility they're going to schedule a sur- uh, surgery and I won't be able to keep the commitments to come and preach. So he called me back a couple of weeks later. He said, hey, we got, got it scheduled. It's going to be October, I think it was October 9th, Monday, whatever the date that was. We got the appointment scheduled for the surgery. They're going to go in and repair that aneurysm because if it burst, it could, it could either uh, debilitate me or kill me. His father, it's, it's hereditary. It's, it runs in his family. His father experienced that and ended up uh, having a stroke resulting from that, and uh, they had to take care of him several years, the last years of his life. So they scheduled the surgery to prepare that. Dr. Hilton comes and preaches two weeks prior to this surgery. He stands in this pulpit, and he preaches a miracle of mercy. I loved it. I, I loved when he stood up here and said, you've come too late to tell me that God does not do miracles. I love that part of the sermon. Go back and listen. If you haven't heard that sermon, go listen to it. He said, you've come too late to tell me that God does not do miracles. And he went and he rehearsed miracle after miracle that God had done in his life. Monday, he went to the, the hospital, went through the, they, 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 they did the surgery. I got a text from him, uh, and this is basically what it says. He said, my family was all in the waiting room. Doctors went in through the arteries to do this procedure, and they ended up taking picture after picture after picture, over 50 pictures, because they couldn't believe it. 
the aneurysm completely gone. Amen. Come on, somebody. And he reiterated what he preached. It was a miracle of mercy. Not because I did it, but because of the mercy of God. This lady didn't deserve it, but this was a miracle of mercy that Jesus is performs right here. Amen. And I just want to relay this to you. Dr. Uh, Dr. Hilton said that what, when he was here preaching to us and praying for us, he said it was an exercise of my faith. God was wanting to stir something in me. And it was as much me being there that Sunday was as much about what God was doing in me as it was about what he was doing in return church. Amen. To God be the glory. And the truth is we don't deserve miracles. Salvation is a miracle. We don't deserve it. It's not about whether or not we deserve it. It has nothing to do with our rights. If you want to get what's right for you, death, death penalty, punishment, the wrath of God, the severity of God is what we rightly deserve. If you want what's rightfully yours, that's it. But that's not what God gives to us. See, we have to understand that God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. It is. See, this offense, what it does, it hardens our hearts. It keeps us from being receptive of what God wants to do in our lives. Unforgiveness, it beats a hard path in our hearts. And the seed of God's word can't grow on this hard path. That's why forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness, the forgiveness, experiencing the grace and the mercy of God, it's like a, a rototiller coming and toiling, uh, tilling up that, that hard soil of, of our life. The hard ground is broken up so that the seed of God's word can get down into our hearts and begin to grow and health and healing and strength and vitality can come back to our lives. I, I've watched people tormented by the offenses of their childhood grow into their adult lives, offended. And it affects their, their vocation. It affects their marriage. It affects their children. It affects, and that's why this, I believe the, the words of this woman, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter has an evil spirit. She realized that the hurt, the rejection, the pain, whatever it was that, that produced the sinfulness in her life had affected her household. And so she cries out, Lord, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And how many of you know that God will have mercy? Forgiveness is vital. As, as I've, and I've, I have, I've been over the last couple of months studying the Gospels and looking specifically for the message about the kingdom. I've been a believer for 27 years, been preaching this gospel for over 25 years, and I'm, I still want to understand better this message about God's kingdom. I've been looking, turning that up in the, in the gospels, the, the gospel of the, what does that mean? And it, it's so attached to this idea of forgiveness. Where the kingdom of God is, there's forgiveness. If we're going to experience the kingdom of God, we've got to forgive ourselves. We've got to forgive others, and we've got to receive the forgiveness of God. It comes through forgiveness. Jesus on forgiveness, he says, forgive us our debts. This is just from, from, from the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father 
forgive your trespasses. We, we have to understand that as long as we hold the fence, as long as we refuse to forgive, the seed, the incorruptible seed of God's word cannot penetrate into our hearts. God, the work that God desires to do in our lives cannot take effect as long as we hold unforgiveness. That's why repentance is so important. The first word of the, of the, the, the gospel of the kingdom, the first word is repentance, right? John the Baptist, his first word, Matthew 3, 1 and 2. It says, in those days, John came to the Judean wilderness. He began preaching, and his message was, repent. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was John. Then Jesus came, Matthew 4, 17, the words of Christ. He says, from the beginning, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? The Holy Spirit's poured out in Acts chapter 2. And what's the message? Peter stands up and preaches. After, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he stands up and preaches a message. Each one of you, they, they ask, what, what do we have to be, do to be saved? Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the first word of the gospel is repent. God t- calls us to turn and to face him. See, we, we're running from God. We were born into this life running from God. We were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. We were born running from God. You've been resisting God since the day you drew your first breath. And God calls us to stop, to repent. Quit running from him. This is, this is what repentance is really about. This is the essence of repentance. Stop running from him. Stop. Turn around. Your heart is hard. Your heart is bitter. You're weary. You're tired. You're worn down. Aren't you tired of running? Aren't you tired of resisting? Aren't you tired of fighting against God? Aren't you tired of the animosity? Can't you see what it's doing and devastating and ruining your life? Stop. Give up, yield, surrender, repent. That's the essence of repentance. Just to turn to God. I've done it my way long enough. And you know what I expected when I did that? I remember going down to the altar. I expected rejection. All of the weight and the guilt and the shame, all of the drinking that I'd done, all the people that I had punched, all the chairs that I had thrown at people. I told you I was a vile dude. No way God's going to receive me like that. No way. A guy like me. Believe that all the way to the altar. Lay it on the altar like that. I'm trying, but no way God's going to accept this. There's no way God can forgive that. How many of you have ever felt those feelings? Right? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As soon as you stop, as soon as you turn, as soon as you yield and say, help, there's a refuge. 
and his name is Jesus. He'll take you and plunge you in his blood, and he will wash you as white as snow, and he will put a new heart to replace that stony, hardened heart that you had, and he will make everything in your life new. And if you will turn to him, he will in no wise cast you out. Truly, this is the message of the gospel. Whosoever will, let him come. Not the rich, not the smart. Not those who have their acts together. Not those who have done more good than bad. But whosoever will, let him come unto me. The, 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 the worst of the worst. The wretch of all wretches. Christ will receive you. That truly is the message and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a message of mercy. It's a message of grace. It's a message of acceptance. It's a message of the forgiveness of our sins. That's the message of the gospel. The good news about the gospel is that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you to receive the salvation of God. And he wants you to come just as you are, and he will not leave you the way that you are. Thank God he has changed me. And there's a lot still needs to be changed. And he's, thank God he's still doing a work on the inside of me. Thank you that there's something on the inside that's working on the outside. The Spirit of God living in me that's working to get this flesh in shape until the day of the return of Christ. When then I will be just like he is. That's the hope of this gospel. The hope of the gospel is never you're going to be good enough. The hope of the gospel is he is good enough. He's Savior. Amen? So you can look at somebody and think you're better than they are, that you've been serving Jesus longer than they are, and you've got it more together than they do. But the reality is, in the eyes of Jesus, we're all wretches. But he has cleansed us in his blood, and he has presented us to the Father as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the reality of this gospel. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. Listen, none of our causes will ever advance the kingdom of God. Let's end poverty. Guess what? It will not happen. You know why? Because of the corruption of men. Billions of dollars have been spent, sent to charity that have been lavished in opulence and self-aggrandizement. We have enough wealth, money, food, and provision in this planet to feed every human being on the planet. But until Christ's kingdom comes in fullness, poverty is going to be here. Racism, I hate racism. I don't get a lot of it. I've experienced some president. I, I, I had some black folks that were prejudiced against me at one point as a kid. I experienced all that. I would love for all of it to end. I love black people, brown people, white people, yellow people. We don't color. What, if you got pink hair, I love you too. I don't get it, but I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be a problem we're going to deal with until Jesus comes back. But you know where it shouldn't be an issue? In the church. Because it's a whosoever will. Let him come to, unto me. White people, black people, brown people, yellow people, red people, green people, whatever color people you are, come to Jesus. If you're a soul, he'll save you. Amen? I, I was reading it this morning. I'm, I'm going I'm to go there. This ain't in my notes. I'm going to go there. You want to see what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out? Let's see if I can find it here real quick. 
There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from, and this is in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Check this out. Parthenians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And others mocking said they were full of new, new wine. What did it mean? When Jesus spoke those words, it's not meat for me to take the bread that belongs to the children and give it to dogs. They were fitly spoken in the season that Jesus was in. He was there for his ministry to Israel. But what happens in Acts chapter 2 is actually the purpose of God. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God is poured out, the gospel is preached to every nation under the heavens and everyone present, Arabs, Asians, Africans, Europeans, they were all there and they heard the glorious gospel of Jesus declared. And the manifestation of what God's desire was, was brought into fulfillment. That, man, that God, through man, would reign on planet Earth. We've seen through the sermon series, that was God's intention from day one. God put man in the garden to have dominion. Through the Holy Spirit. Listen, the church... This is why I say it over and over again. The White House is not my hope. You know what my hope is? The church house. D.C. will never, they can't even pick a speaker of the house. Come on, guys. They're never going to get their act together. We've got to get our act together. It's not about government. It's not about them. It is the kingdom of God, period, full stop. That's where our hope is. It's in the church of Jesus Christ. We are here to advance the kingdom. And no government can control me. I'll preach, and if they cut my head off, I'll preach until it's sliced. They can't stop it. And you know what will happen? Every time somebody's been persecuted, everybody, every time someone's been killed for the gospel, the gospel spreads like wildfire. You can't contain the kingdom of heaven. In that passage we read, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There's violent opposition against this thing of demonic proportions, but those who are of the kingdom are pressing, 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 advancing this kingdom on planet Earth. It's happening. It's happening in the Middle East. The kingdom is advancing. The most rapid growth of the church of Jesus Christ is where there is the most violent opposition. You cannot stop it. To the increase of his government, there will be no end. The 
kingdom comes to planet earth, when we stop, say yes, and Jesus washes us in his blood and fills us with his spirit, and we go about manifesting the kingdom of God on planet earth. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. Let's stand together. Pastor, what do you think about what's going on in the news? It's horrible. And it's, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But in the church, it's going to get better. I'm not saying that's going to be without opposition. But I, I believe this. I believe the greatest days of harvest and revival are ahead of us. I believe that we are going to see people coming to the Lord in this decade by the hundreds of thousands, the millions Maybe even the tens of millions. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that government opposition is going to become worse and worse and worse and worse until the day of Christ's return. It's written. Nation will rise against nation. Pestilences, famine, earthquakes, all, floods, all of these things. These are signs. And they're, they're going to intensify like the birth pains of a woman. But that passage in the Sermon of uh, uh, the, the Olivet Discourse it's, it's, it's sandwiched between two fear nots. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is my purpose. I'm moving. Don't be afraid. All this is going to happen. Don't be afraid. Amen? We win. Scotty said it at the beginning of the service while he was looking for psalms. We win. We win. We win. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with your God, with your maker, I want you to come down to this altar. I want to meet you here. I want to be a part of the day when you say, I give up. So if that's you, come on down here and meet me. If you need anything from the Lord, please come. I want, let's just, can we sing a, a chorus and just worship the Lord? And if you need the Lord, come, come, whosoever will let him come. Come boldly to the throne of grace, the Bible says, so that in your time of need, you can receive help. In your hurt, in your pain, in your need, come and lay it down. Lay the offenses down. Lay the hurt down and receive the grace of God.